Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. I'm wondering, was it a morning like this, clean and crisp and cool, when Jesus came out of that tomb and the earth rumbled at the brilliance of the Son of God emerging from that tomb, the place where he had been buried? What a grand morning it was. I trust that you spent this week in preparation for the beauty of this morning and the celebration that we get to enjoy much differently this year, but nevertheless, the impact still, still strikes our hearts today. But if you see it only as a historical event from 2,000 years ago, you will miss the, the living reality of the death and resurrection today because, uh, because of him, we are able to experience a kind of death and resurrection. The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How difficult it is to die. You know, through the years of my ministry, one of the mysteries that I have witnessed time and again is to be at the side of deathbeds, of people dying and the tension that exists between this life and the life to come. Even sitting by the beds of those uh, saints of God who have lived God-honoring lives, who have served him well, who have loved him, who have anticipated a pain-free life and the beauty that is to come after this life, have held on so tightly to this life. How difficult sometimes it is to let go, how difficult it is to die. And what's true physically is also so true in a spiritual sense as well. It is difficult to die to self and to live for Christ. When I was a little boy, we sang this little ditty. It went like this. The Grand Old Duke of York, he had 10,000 men. He marched them up the hill and then he marched them down again. And when you're up, you're up. And when you're down, you're down. And when you're only halfway up, you're neither up nor down. Well, you know, when you follow Jesus, you can't be halfway. You can't be partially in and partially out or think that in some, some way you've got it worked out to live uh, between both worlds. No, we have to be all in. To not be all in is to live in a very precarious position. There are many throughout the centuries who have learned to let go, to die to self and to live for Christ. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, those four fishermen, died to their fishing business on the shore of Galilee to follow Jesus. Zacchaeus died to greed and extortion to, to follow Jesus. Uh, the, the CFO of Ethiopia, we meet in Acts chapter 8, uh, laid down you know, hit the pride that would come with his position to follow Jesus. George Mueller, a great a preacher from a past generation, was once asked about the power by which he lived, and he answered simply, uh, one day George Mueller died. Johnny Erickson Tata died to her anger against God after suffering paralysis through a diving accident, leaving her a quadriplegic. And think of all the millions of people she has blessed throughout the world because of that death decision that she made. Nick. Vujinic is a man who was born without arms or legs, has two flipper-like feet, 
but he chose to die to self-pity so that he could live for the glory of Christ. What about you? What about me? What in our lives is left still uncrucified? What are those things in us and about us that we still hold tightly onto, that we have a hard time letting go? They may not be bad things. They may not be evil things. But they may be things that just distract us from the thing that matters most, that we die to self and live for Christ. It's, it's a difficult thing to die. You see, it's one thing to look at the cross and see the Savior who died there for us. It's another thing to die with Christ, that we may live the life that he has called us to. We've had to learn in these recent weeks about dying to a lot of things we didn't want to die to. We've died to the love of sports and ESPN. We have died to the typical way we do education. We have died to our favorite restaurants. We have died to entertainment venues we enjoy. Uh, we've been forced to do that. We didn't want to do that, but we did. And, and all those things, they're good things. They're, none of those are bad things, but they just often distract us from one true commitment that can change our lives forever and make a difference here and in the life to come. You see, there's a great difference between realizing that on the cross, Christ was crucified for me, and on the cross, I am crucified with him. The gospel is that we are justified by faith in Christ. This is what Paul writes in Galatians 2. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works. It is so hard to land squarely in this great truth. In fact, it's... It, the gospel is rather slippery. You know, I was taking a bike hike last Sunday afternoon and I, I saw this beautiful blue jay as I was crossing this bridge and I, I quickly stopped and got my phone out to turn it on and take this picture. And in my haste, that phone just slipped out of my hand, went over the bridge and it rests in peace today at the bottom of White Lick Creek. Now, when, when something slips out of our hands, one, one of two things is true typically. Either our hands are slippery or the object is slippery. And in the case of the gospel, the gospel is slippery. And what I mean by that is it's hard to fully grasp that it's about being justified simply by faith in the blood of Jesus. Because my default setting is that somehow I've got to make myself worthy enough to be loved by God and accepted by God. And we'll often say, well, I hope I've done enough good no, we haven't done enough good to be welcomed into God's presence. It's all about Christ's work on the cross. It's hard to believe you can be justified by faith. And to be justified is a wonderful truth. Now, when I was a little boy, I was taught that to be justified means that we, it's just as if we've never sinned. And that's fine as an explanation when you're a child, but it's not wholly accurate. Uh, let me put it this way. Uh, let's say Diana is... Expect me home for dinner at 6 o'clock. Six, 6 o'clock comes and goes at 6.37, 7.38, 8.30, I finally walk in. And she is livid. 
uh, dinner is ruined. She doesn't know where I am, what's happened to me. She's, a, she's afraid for me. She has this myriad of emotions that she has gone through in these two and a half hours. But then I explain. I had left my phone at the office. I went to Methodist Hospital to see some people. I was on the elevator and all the power and the communications went out in the hospital. I was stuck. There was nothing I could do. And I, I got home as fast as I could. And suddenly, everything changes. There's, there's an explanation for it all. Now, the facts haven't changed. I was still late. Uh, the emotional process she went through was still there. But her view, uh, her view has changed. That's what happens when we're justified by faith in Jesus Christ. The fact that we're sinners hasn't changed. But God's view of us has changed because he sees us through the blood of his son that's been poured out for us. And that's Paul's testimony. Again, he said, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He wrote in Colossians, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. I'm surrounded by death here. I could wave all kinds of temptations here in this place, but there'd be no response because these are dead. And dead people are no longer attracted to the temptations the evil one sets before us. We've died. And our life is now hidden with Christ and God. And yet, how difficult yet it is to die. But once we do, we get this resurrected life to live to him. And many have set the pace for us, dying to self and living for Christ. Karen Watson was one of those who lived that way. She sold out everything she had, everything she owned was in a duffel bag. And she went to serve uh, in humanitarian aid in Iraq with three others. On March 15th in 04, uh, her, the vehicle in which she was riding with the others was ambushed and they were killed. Karen had left a letter behind only to be opened on the occasion of her death. Here are some of the contents. When God calls, there are no regrets. I tried to share my heart with you as much as possible, my heart for the nations. I wasn't called to a place. I was called to him. To obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. His glory, my reward. She writes of the crucified life. Care more than some think is wise. Risk more than some think is safe. Dream more than some think is practical. Expect more than some think is possible. She writes, I was called not to comfort or success, but to obedience. And she includes one of her favorite scriptures, 2 Corinthians 5.15. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And Karen closes the letter, there is no joy outside of knowing Jesus and serving him. Those are words of a person who has been crucified with Christ. She no longer lived, but Christ lived in her. You don't have to go to Iraq to be crucified with Christ. You can live that kind of life here, right now, in the context of your life. Die with Christ, be resurrected with him, and live the life you were meant to live.
The year was 1846, and the young Hungarian doctor Ignaz Semmelweis was delivering babies in two medical clinics in Vienna. Uh, one of these maternity clinics was run by some of the most prestigious doctors in the world, and the other was run by some midwives. But there was a problem. In the doctor's clinic, as many as 30% of the women who gave birth would contract a fever shortly thereafter and would die. And for many of these families, what was supposed to be a moment that was the celebration of life became an appointment with death. But then Dr. Samuelweiss noticed something. He noticed that the women in the doctor's clinic were dying at a rate that was five times higher than that of the midwife's clinic. So what was the difference, he wondered, and he tried everything he could think of. He tried uh, uh, changing the position that the women would give birth in. He tried getting rid of the bell that they would ring after a woman passed away, but still nothing worked. But then, Dr. Semmelweis had a revelation. You see, these doctors were doing their best to get to the bottom of the issue, and so when a woman would pass away, they would perform an autopsy, but then they would go directly from performing these autopsies right back to delivering babies without washing their hands or their instruments. Now, that seems obvious to us, but keep in mind, this is 1846, and things like bacteria and germs hadn't even been discovered yet. And so Dr. Samuelweiss didn't know if maybe washing their hands would help, but he figured uh, maybe it'd be worth a try. And so Dr. Samuelweiss has these doctors begin to wash their hands in chlorine. He doesn't even know that chlorine is a disinfectant. He just thinks that uh, it'll get rid of the smell of death. But unbeknownst to him, it was also getting rid of those deadly bacteria that were causing the infections. And so the death rate began to plummet. And, and it, from that day on, countless millions of lives have been saved with washing and sanitation and disinfecting. And every time now that you wash your hands, you are paying tribute to the work of Dr. Ignaz Semmelweis. Through washing, death gave way to life. And if you'll let me, I want to just kind of use that story as a metaphor for our time together today because perhaps you find yourself in a scenario similar to that of Dr. Samuelweiss. Perhaps what you thought would bring life to you didn't. Uh, maybe you thought you'd find life through achievement at work or the success of your kids or through having a great body or a, a certain amount of followers on social media or getting the six-figure salary or hanging in the right friend group or getting the brand new house and, and you thought that this thing would bring you life but actually it left you empty. One of the messages of the book of Galatians that we're in this month is just that, that anything you chase to try to fulfill you, anything that you do to try to earn your worth or even work your way to God, anything you do to that end will fall flat. In fact, instead of bringing you life, it will only bring death. Steve started walking us through Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 earlier where the Apostle Paul says, For I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what Paul's saying there is that what is true of him has become true of us. Think of the moment that you became a Christian if you're not a Christian, think of the moments we got to witness earlier where people put their faith in Christ. For me, it was October 28th, 2001. Then on that Sunday evening, when I was baptized, I died. My baptism was my funeral. 
I gave up the ways that I was chasing significance. I, I gave up my right to rule my own life. That is no longer my identity. Uh, but the, the beauty of this truth is that Jesus Christ has been saying all along that, that if you try to hold on to your life, if you try to find your life, if you try to save your own life, you'll actually just end up losing it. But he says, if you lose your life for me, you'll find it. You'll find a greater life than you ever imagined possible. And it's incredible that God has actually hardwired this truth into creation. He's ordained it so that a little seed goes down into the ground and that when that seed dies, it gives birth to an abundant life, more rich than it ever had before. And we're seeing that. The world around us is, is springing to new life. The flowers are blooming. The birds are singing. Death is giving way to life in all creation. And the same is true for us. That, that when I was baptized, I went down into the water and I was buried with Christ. And when I came up out of the water, I was resurrected with Christ. I was washed. And death gave way to life. Today's Easter the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because on Friday, Jesus died for our sins. And on Saturday, he lay there dead in the grave. But on Sunday morning, he emerged alive and victorious. And, and many people believe that Jesus did raise from the dead, but they just don't know what it means. Well, the resurrection means, as a historical fact, that Jesus is who he says he is and that he did what he said he would do. The resurrection is the divine seal of approval on Jesus' teachings and his claims. It, it, it is the stamp of authorization for Jesus' call to us to follow him from death to life. I heard the story of one Muslim college student who decided to become a Christian and his friends were shocked and they asked him, why, why did he decide to follow Jesus? And he said, well, it's, it's simple really. Imagine that you're walking down a road and you come to a fork in the road. And there are two guides there for you to follow along the way. One of them is dead and one is alive. Which one would you follow? And if you follow Jesus, the living one, then what is true of him has become true of you. And that means, like Steve said earlier, that the resurrection is not merely historical, it's also very personal. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. Paul says in Colossians chapter two that we've been buried with him in baptism and also raised with him through our faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. His resurrection is our resurrection. What is true of him has become true of us. And now, Paul says in Galatians chapter two, verse 20, that he lives in us. Let's say it again. Paul says, for I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This is personal, put, put your name in there. Christ lives in Eric. Christ lives in Emily. And Christ lives in Mark. Christ lives in Mary. Christ lives in you. And now Jesus is, is living his life through you, working through you so that when people see you and the way that you live, they should see him. Paul would go on to say in just the very next chapter, Galatians chapter three, that, that actually when we are filled with Christ, it's like we're putting him on like a garment. In Galatians chapter three, he says that uh, through Christ Jesus, everyone who has faith is a child of God and that all of you who are baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed yourselves with Christ Jesus. You have put him on 
And as a result, your old self is dead and your new self is here. That's why these people that we got to see baptized were wearing t-shirts that said, made new. Because just like Paul said back in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. So if I asked you today, who are you? Well, I hope that you would say, I'm a Jesus person. I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a Christian. I've been made new. And that is now the core of your identity. But if you're not a follower of Jesus today, I want you to know that you, you don't have to chase significance anymore. You don't have to run after meaning or acceptance anymore. Your failures don't have to be final. Your regrets don't have to be fatal. You don't have to, to earn your worth or work for your love. In fact, the work has already been done on your behalf through Jesus' death and his resurrection. All you need to do is put your faith in him. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. We'll read it again. Paul says, For I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. I live by faith that Jesus is who he says he is. I live by faith that Jesus is with me. I live by faith that Jesus' way for me is the best way for me. I live by faith that Jesus is victorious even when the circumstances are dark. Paul says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is personal. Again, put your name there. Faith in the Son of God who loved Jason, who loved Kathy, who gave himself for, for Jerry, who gave himself for Elizabeth. The Son of God loves you and gave himself for you. Unfortunately, the story of Dr. Ignaz Semmelweis does not have a happy ending. After his revolutionary breakthrough, he tried to get his peers to take his advice and start washing their hands so that they could save lives together, but most of his colleagues shunned him instead. In fact, as he preached this message over and over again, wash your hands, wash your hands, eventually Dr. Samuelweiss lost his mind and he was committed to a mental institution and he died an early death at the age of 47. And there are a lot of reasons why people didn't immediately adopt his philosophy, but the three big reasons for why people didn't start washing their hands immediately was number one, Dr. Samuelweiss didn't know how it worked. They hadn't discovered germs and bacteria yet. He, he couldn't explain how it worked. He just knew that it did. But to others, it just seemed kind of mystical and strange. The second reason was that if these doctors would have agreed and taken his advice and started washing their hands, that means that they would have had to own up to the fact that they had been accidentally responsible for transmitting these germs that were killing these women. It was self-indicting, and that was too much for them to handle. As humans, we have this natural instinct to, to, to push away and to reject anything that is self-indicting. That means that we can't do it and that we are guilty. And, and the third reason why was, well, frankly, it just it seemed too simple. After all their work, all their tests, all their research, after everything that they had been through, it, it just seemed too easy. Wash your hands, that's it. And unfortunately, Dr. Samuel Weiss never lived to see the fruits of his labor. 
But today, all around the world, there are hospitals and medical schools and women's clinics that bear his name. There's also a term in the medical field that is still taught to medical students today called the Semmelweis reflex. And the Semmelweis reflex is defined as that knee-jerk reaction against new evidence, rejecting it without any kind of investigation or exploration because it goes against what has already been accepted or practiced. In other words, I don't have room for this truth in my worldview because I've been doing it this way for so long. Maybe that's where you find yourself today. Uh, maybe number one that this it just you, you can't explain this it just it just seems strange you, you don't know how it works to, to follow Christ to to die to yourself to believe that he is alive and to let him live in you it just seems kind of mystical and unexplainable and number two maybe it also just seems self-indicting because it is to follow Jesus you have to admit that you can't do it on your own and, and number three maybe it just seems too simple I mean, really, that's it? You just have to put your trust in Jesus and surrender to him and, and he gives you life? Really, that's it? Yeah, really. And when you do follow him, what is true of him becomes true of you. And because he is alive, you can be alive. Which is why the greatest truth that we need to hear today is not that the stock market has risen, it has risen indeed. We're not gathered to celebrate that a vaccine has risen. It has risen indeed. Not that the employment rate has risen. Not that the economy has risen. Not that the value of your 401k has risen. Not that the stimulus package has risen. No, no, no. But the one hope for all of mankind throughout two millennia of loneliness and loss and pain and plague and poverty and even death itself. The one hope for humanity has always been and will always be that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Oh, Father, the things of this life always overpromise and underdeliver. And yet Easter stands as the proof once and for all that you are a God who brings life out of death and purpose out of pain and hope out of despair and power out of weakness and victory out of defeat. God, without you, we have no reason for hope. But with you, we have no reason to fear. So we will live by faith in your son so that when people see us, they will see him. In his name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.